This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio. And welcome to a bonus edition of the Summer Seminar Series. This episode has been months in the making because we are beyond gracious to share the stage for anybody who is just passionate about movement, about skill acquisition, about movement science, about any area that has to do what it means to move in this world. We are joined by the author of The Practice of Natural Movement. He is the Move Nat Method creator and developer. I am joined by the one and only Mr. Erwan LaCour. Erwan, thank you for joining us on the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Hi, Matt, and thank you for having me. I'm delighted. So, Erwan, I mean, for those people, I mean, I know you are just, I mean, to say renowned is probably a bit of an understatement. Um, you are everywhere when it comes to this idea of moving naturally. And I wonder for just some of our listeners out there that may not be necessarily familiar with your work, what do, what is the MoveNet method all about? The MoveNet method was created for teaching and learning what I've called natural movement, a concept that did not exist uh, as it is today uh, before I I uh, I designed it, I uh, I defined it, and then I, I made it popular in the last decade. So if you want to understand what natural movement to humans is, you may ask yourself, what is natural movement to a tiger, to a wolf, to an eagle, or to a dolphin, or to a simple bird? They are going to move in the way that um, they are designed to move through evolution and through that you know, generations and generations of that sp particular species living in nature, having to both survive and, and possibly thrive in their natural environment. And ultimately, they've, they're developing a scope of movement skills that are natural to their own species. That's natural movement. So clearly the natural movement of a dolphin and the natural movement of a monkey and the natural movement of an eagle and the natural mo movement say, of, of human beings is is different. Uh, dolphins are very, very mediocre at climbing trees. Monkeys excel at it, but don't don't just plunk a monkey in, in the ocean because they won't survive like a dolphin can. So that's, that's clearly obvious. So we are the same um, in the sense of we have our own natural abilities to move for instance we can climb we can also balance we can crawl we can jump we can lift and carry and throw and catch things there's a number of natural movement abilities that belong to our species and the proof of that is just to watch and witness young kids and the way they move before they learn any sports or fitness method they move naturally they do all these things they crawl they stand they walk they jump, they balance, they hang, they climb, they do all these things. That's natural movement. 
Well, you know, and, and, and something that you said in that discussion just there is something that piques my interest immediately. And you reference natural movement relative to an environment. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the environment is the sole purveyor of the movement that is necessary. However, it may shape it in some ways. Am I, am I incorrect, Erwan, in, in looking at movement being part of that interaction with the environment? Or is that something that is of no consequence and, and we just have movement that is uh, sort of uh, uh, morphologically or, or uh, evolutionary, just ours. You are absolutely correct that natural movement cannot be dissociated from the environment or environments where it takes place, where it is done, where it is performed or practiced or trained. There's a reason for that. The reason is evolutionary to begin with. Originally, the the purpose for any movement in any animal species is to navigate through wild environments, complex environments, challenging environments to survive, to avoid threats and to find opportunities and to just uh, find food and shelter and mate and explore new environments maybe. Do all these things. All those, all those tasks or necessities um, of the real life in the real world, you know, for survival, at least originally, demand that you move, demand that whatever, whichever animal from whatever species moves, operates their body through the natural world in very practical ways and also very adaptable ways. And so that idea of adaptability has everything to do with the context where the movement are done so if you're talking about an environment, then if you say running, right away you're going to ask yourself, running where? On what surfaces? Because running on concrete with foam, you know, with rubber-made shoes and running on grass or sand or rocks, it, it's different. You have to adapt to those environments. Running in the woods is not like running on a treadmill, right? Same natural um, movement skill, running, same patterns, same human patterns, bipedal pattern of running. But imagine the difference between doing that on a treadmill with shoes on and barefoot on natural environments. That's just completely different. And what's going to be the difference is that idea of adaptability, not just of your feet, but of diverse surfaces, some are slippery, some are not slippery, some are stable, some are unstable, uh, diverse angles, diverse materials, soil, rock, all natural surfaces. So this is going to force you to adapt your your movement, your your skill, say running. Now, if you apply that, to all the other natural movements that we can do, crawling, balancing, jumping and landing, and also climbing and manipulative skills, then obviously you cannot separate your movement from the original context that basically created it for, for us, for a species that shaped 
There's a reason why, for instance, humans can run or can hang and climb, right? We can run not so that we could one day be gold medalists, you know, have Olympics in a special at sports or play tennis or play ping pong or do any sports for that matter. We have those original natural movement skills so that we can stay alive in the wild. Well, you know, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you. You said no, no many things in there that were that were really, really very interesting. And I was wondering if I could implore you to expound even further in the context of some of the work that you did with former athletes, like, for example, Carlos Condit and working in those environments, because I'm sure we would we would agree that the environment that is the world of sport is certainly one that that is very much uh, created by man, and therefore it creates uh, a unique set of peculiarities and circumstances for us to explore kind of how our natural movement may apply. What what can you give us some insight into that world and maybe how you've applied some of that natural movement and understanding of it to some of those uh, unique environments like the environments of sport? Well, you uh, mentioned the uh, the Carlos Candid, so that's MMA example where um, we train on improving a very specific aspect of his movement, which was his ability to move on his feet quicker in any direction. Um, and to achieve that, we did not use, uh, say, uh, you know, strength and conditioning, you know, the typical strength and conditioning drills or agility ladders. And, and not that there is, there's, there's nothing wrong with those drills. It all depends on what you need to achieve, the results you need to achieve in those. In that particular case, um, Carlos Condit already had a strength and conditioning, you know, general physical preparedness and specific also, but he had a, a team and, and a place to, to train all of these things, which is essential to him. However, they did not address what I had the ability to address through my specific, you know, um, movements and drills, which are all based on natural movement. So we did a lot of balancing with him. We did a lot of jumping and landing in, in a very specific way that replicated or even exaggerated some of the movement demands that he had in the cage. Um, and basically that led him to not only recover much faster, and that's that's his, you know, that's his acknowledgement, to recover much faster from his knee injury um, that he was coming from, but also led him to a title shot, which many people said he actually won. Um and that had to do with, um, you know, much improved uh, movement on his feet. Where do you think, Erwan, where do you think the individual's unique peculiarities, let's say in terms of their their height, their unique kind of anthropomorphic features, where do those kind of fit in terms of natural movement? Um, really it's almost irrelevant. Uh, just like asking uh, if a tiger is one tiger has longer legs than another one, is he fit for the, the natural movement of those 
of the tiger species or no uh reg regardless of um particular um you know your f personal physical makeup you may wonder if it's a, an advantage or an inconvenience in a certain sport because if you want to compete you know typically and that, and that, again that's typically in every given sport there are some very particular uh, aspect of your of your physical makeup that can support greater performance so it's usually you know like uh, uh, sprinters tend to have similar body types and weightlifter has t tend to have similar body types and rock climbers seem to have similar body types which by the way that particular body type does not just stem from their personal or individual physical makeup it also stems from years and years and years of consistent practice in one specialized one given movement like lifting or like rock climbing or like running so that also plays a role um but for us regular humans when i say regular i would say people who are not interested in winning medals in being champions and not interested in picking one particular and highly specialized physical activity for all of us and that's the majority of us who simply want to have comfort in their body confidence in their body and what it can do capability i call it real world capability we want to be able to be ready to do real things efficiently effectively in the real world um that it is simple day-to-day -day tasks moving a, an object that's a little heavy picking up kids um climbing a ladder whatever you do for your work that has a an element of physical labor a lot of people still work you know have jobs that imply day-to-day -day physical labor uh so feeling good in their body and be, being healthy in their body and capable in their body that's very important now most people work from from desk that it is at home or from an office somewhere and do not need to use their body and that's the problem they're going to sit a lot all day then they're going to come back they're going to sit more they're going to sit to go to work they're going to sit to come back from work they're going to sit even to go to the gym if they do and when they do after they sat in their car to go to the gym or in a train or bus whatever they're going to sit more on machines where they're supposed to exercise for the most part seated there is a kind of sitting madness going on um, and that's killing us. That's really not making f people feel uh, mentally and, of course, not physically good. That's one of the reasons. Uh, there are other nutrition, lack of nature, stress. There are so many reasons in a person's modern, you know, typical modern lifestyle that may cause us physical, physiological health ailments and also a lesser desire for movement, for physical activity, or when we try then to not feel good and basically, and often to be discouraged. And it's not fair and it's not right because it's not normal. Um, so we 
most of us do not need a specialized physical practice. We need a movement behavior, you know, on a day-to-day basis. We want people to look at look at what you do in a day from the moment you wake up. What is your body doing? What's its behavior? It's most frequent, most typical behavior. And isn't it, for most of us, to sit, only stand to walk a few short steps to the next vehicle or the next seat somewhere and sit more? And when we feel tired, even exhausted, sitting for hours, all we can think of is to go sit somewhere else that's more comfortable, like a couch at home. Really? Erwan, yeah, I, I like no. my couch, Erwan. Don't yell at me about my couch, though. Man, but here's the thing, man. I don't, I, <laughs> my point is not to, feel, to make anybody feel bad about it. And you know why I don't need to do that? Well, number one, because I, it doesn't matter how many you know people know me for criticizing modern lifestyle and for a reason. But I'm not a judge. I'm not judging. Actually, I'm not judging people. I'm trying to help them pay attention to what is actually going on in their lives and understand that uh, a lot of the reasons why they're not feeling so good. There's so many health issues going on and even depression, which is also an health issue. There are reasons for that. So Mm -hmm. when I say most people on a day-to-day basis sit a lot most of the day, all the way from morning to evening. That's not only, a f- not only a fact. The reason why I'm pointing that out is to make you realize that, hey, that have you ever thought that maybe that could be the reason why you're really not feeling good in your body? And so I'm trying to enlighten people about those, those realities and then to provide solutions for them to start changing that, not a radical overnight change of everything, but first an awareness and then trying out things and then see how they, how they feel. And so that idea of natural movement is the idea that, yes, everyone needs a physical activity or some physical behavior on a day-to-day basis, number one. Number two, when it comes to choosing what activity that should be. It is a myth that you would have to pick one specialized activity, one specialized sports. It's what should I do, lifting or running, Uh, yoga or tai chi, this kind of thing, stretching or just some general fitness at home, push-ups and crunches and things like that. All those, if you come from the background of, of being physically idle. All those are fantastic because some movement is better than no movement. More movement is better than no movement. But if you think about who you are as a person, you're a human being and we humans are a species. And just like in any other species, we have typical, universal movement skills that should be our primary physical behavior every day. Just look at, again, look at young kids and what is their physical behavior? You may think, oh, they're just wild. Okay, they're wild. But look at 
what are the patterns that they're using for the movement. And they hang and they climb and they stand up and they want to start walking and then they run and they balance and they jump and they land and do they cr and they crawl more and they vault and they do all these things. Why is it that they are all doing this universally? You never ever see a kid spontaneously um, doing specialization, only running, only lifting, or trying to do uh, um, try to isolate muscles like try to do just push-ups or crunches for their abs and things like that. No kids ever does that. There's a reason. It's because those behaviors are actually unnatural. And how do you know that? Well, because if they were natural, then you would see uh, every kid doing that. So what, what are the, the natural movement behaviors or the physical behaviors that you see kids doing universally in any country, regardless of ethnicity and background and gender or any of those considerations, you see them, again, do human natural movement. Um, the crawling, the hanging, the the vaulting, the, the jumping, the balancing, all of that. Why should it be any different in humans? What's going to make you healthy? What's going to make you have fun? What's going to give you a complete workout without having you thinking of what muscles are being worked out? That's natural movement. Well, and you know what? I think there's, I mean, there's so many lanes that you offered in that discussion. And as somebody who was introduced to your work over the last year or so, and I've been really um, unpacking your book, you know, the practice of natural movement. And I've reached out to you a number of times saying how, how thoughtful and insightful I thought the work was and really how you can hear. And I hope everybody listening to this can hear within the discussion, this very essence of natural movement is very engaging. And it made me reflect on myself, you know, and what I do as a human being. And it made me more aware. And as we kind of, you know, bring this back to the awareness, so to speak, within the context of a specialized sport, and when you were working within a specialized sport, I'm curious how you began to reconcile learning within those kind of specialized environments and maybe what you had to, sh had to work with the athlete to be aware of. Because you talk about in your book, you know, learning, how to learn. And you talk about, you know, the idea here about specific movements and who you are, you know, as a human being. And I'm curious, when you are in those kind of specialized environments like sport, and you had to work specifically to unpack the learning of the athlete, how did you, how did you begin to do that? How did you begin to kind of understand the problems they were facing? Like, what was that? If you could take us a little inside that methodology about applying natural movement to the unique circumstances of an athletic arena, how did you begin to kind of, kind of formulate that as a coach, as a, as a support? How did you begin to kind of think about these ideas? It's, um, it's relatively simple. Think of every modern specialized athlete as a kid, because they're all young, right? I'm sorry, I'm going to be I'm nearing 50. So a kid that is extremely likely to have grown up indoors playing video games, being fed industrial food, 
um, and not spent much time outdoors. And, and that, that is, again, that's a generality, right? Um, and um, basically having then, because of their, when you're young, you can overcome a number of health issues that have to do with um, unhealthy lifestyles. Just because you're an athlete, a specialized athlete, maybe elite competitor, it doesn't mean that you are not dealing with health issues. You're dealing with a lot of health issues usually. And those health issues, those injuries, they may seem to come from the intense physical challenge on your body uh, because of your practice. But it also has to do with the aspects of your lifestyle that are still not healthy. Your early years that were spent growing up with unhealthy lifestyles, including lack of natural movement. And and that is taking a toll on, on, on a lot of athletes. So before we want to talk about how the movement method could specifically help a given athlete in a specific kind of performance, the first thing that's going to be beneficial for any specialized athlete is to look at their the quality or efficiency of their movement behavior when practicing natural movement, which is, again, the whole scope of natural movement skills. Why? Because if you just have them through that kind of test, it doesn't matter if the the run the the athlete is a runner or fighter or a football player, whatever it is. If it, they're going to have issues with some simple ground movements, some get-ups, balancing, hanging, whatever it is that's going to be inefficient in movements that they don't even practice in their specialized game. They're not even part of it. But if they are going to have issues doing those movements, what we observe right away is there are deficiencies at a physiological level and a, a neuromuscular level. And if there are deficiencies in that body, it's very likely that it undermines performance in their specialized field. Does that make sense? No, it, it does, actually. I mean, it sounds to me, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it sounds to me like you're working on the foundation. If the That's athlete is a house, you're, you're saying, let's go to the foundation. That's ex- where I'm going to do it. Exactly. And the foundation is not just strength. And no, it's not just, it's just, but, not but just we all think it is though. We all right. think it's strength and we, I mean, and I'm, yes, I'm saying strength we and conditioning, right. Well, I, and, and I'm saying we, I mean, I don't mean to be rude because honestly, I'm still very much in a state of learning and understanding myself. I don't mean to, to say we, I mean, more or less like it seems to be a popular, um, a popular answer that it is strength and conditioning or it, or it is about, you know, speed you know, um, movement, movement ladders and, you know, like, you know, agility ladders and technical skills. And uh, it doesn't sound like that from this discussion. Well, first off, uh, it's that, that field, that community is full of, uh, brilliant professionals. 
that really know what they're doing in strength and conditioning. So I, I'm in, in no way uh, questioning um, those professionals, or those experts' um, competency in helping athletes. I'm just opening the horizon to elements of physical and movement performance that may just fall under the radar the radar because of a given expert has a given expertise on a given emphasis strength is one emphasis yes it's very important but so is mobility and so is coordination and so is um overall health so um when i put an athlete on a balancing beam and I have them do some very basic movements and it's challenging. I'm like, how does that translate to a diminished performance in other patterns? Now, that's just one example. And, and um, this is not the kind of uh, necessarily the kind of te test that a, a strength and con conditioning coach is going to look at. Those are not aspects of performance that they are trained to read and to pay attention to or to, to, to assess and fix. Can I ask you a question? I don't mean to, to interrupt, but I'm just curious if, if, if when you're working with athletes or if you were, if when you had work with an athlete and you were trying to, trying to find a place to start with them, was that something that from a movement NAT method or a move NAT method, was it just you kind of screening them for deficiencies or did you want to observe them first within their given particular environment, whether it be um, in the octagon or in on the field of play? Um, how, how did you begin to uh, reconcile where that athlete was as in their current understanding of movement? A MoveNet trained coach may use diverse tools and uh, if they want to help a, an athlete in a speci specialized field, of course you want to first hear what particular physical or movement challenges that that athlete is complaining of. Um, but um, But again... The, the idea that a day-to-day -day practice of natural movement is going to help the specialized athletes with the movement behaviors that are missing in their, not just in their game, in the, the, the one sports that they excel at, but in their day-to-day -day life as well. So to have people do a lot of kneeling, a lot of rolling, a lot of getting up and getting down in several ways and crawling and using different joints, different muscles, or to use the same body basically, but in that in diverse ways that they normally never do is going to improve their overall physiology, their overall coordination. It's going to help that, that foundation to restore a healthier, more complete foundation to support their specialized sport. So that's what you, again, that's what you do. Um, and then 
when you assess their their performance in a in their sports or what is deficient what is what is problematic then you want to see if it precisely stems from issues in their natural you know I, I think as I'm as I'm listening, and I'm I'm sorry for the the long delays on my end to everybody listening as well. It's just you know it's very rich in terms of taking this perspective, this perspective of you know looking at the foundations of natural movement as to who we are as human beings, as to who we are as animals ourselves, and what our capacities are for movement, and then using those as kind of a as like we said earlier through that metaphor of a house building a better foundation and how those can kind of effects can cascade throughout all different uh levels of execution of different technical skills is just a is a phenomenally interesting idea and maybe one that you know I, I never initially thought about until becoming acquainted you know with your work and I'm curious you know again and I forgive us for for using the example uh, of of Carlos because obviously there's you know other athletes and things of that nature that you've worked with but um, is there just from a thumbnail sketch, a very short snapshot, what types of what types of changes did you observe over time in terms of natural move in terms of his movement uh, within his sport that you can see um, were attributed to some of the things that you were doing um, with him individually? Again, specifically with Carlos, it was really a lot about his ability to move forward and backward and sideways faster and also more um, responsively. So well, it's not just the speed, it's the responsiveness. Because speed and movement starts with a, stimu a stimulation. So you may have a speed, but if you're not alert enough and if you're not responsive enough, by the time you start to actually express that speed that you do p possess it's too late okay that's one element of speed then you have a speed that has to do with physiological adaptations of your muscles of your tissues and then you have the speed that has to do with technique for instance the position of your feet so if your, your feet are not positioned correctly for a given direction given movement given response then it doesn't matter that you're alert and responsive and that your muscles have power and that you could generate and express force rapidly because the position prevents you from being speed, uh, fast in the first place. So you see how many variables there is. It's not just strength. It's technique. It's not just technique. So it's, it's not just uh, the, the, the raw power. It's not just the technique. Uh, for instance, the, the position of your of your of your feet, the position of your legs and knees in relation to your hips, and again, it's not just that. It's also mental. It's also how alert and responsive is your brain. We worked on all of that with Carlos. We worked on so we worked, for instance, on changing the position of his feet, being more forward. Um, which, which is typically more a karate kind of stance. Um, 
so he reflexively had a completely different stance. They had like a more Muay Thai 90 degree feet, you know, kind of feet, feet position. So that is not good for moving forward or backward as fast as, as desirable. We worked on his alertness and responsiveness. So we, we drilled that tons and tons and tons so that you don't need to, to work on the physiology. You need to work on the, on the, the nervous system and the brain. So we drilled that a ton. So when, once all of that was combining and synergetic, efficient and reflexive, and uh, a different position of the feet, you know, different stance on his feet, on his legs, higher levels of alertness and responsiveness in those forward, backward, and sideways movement. Then what happened, and, and again, this is... Uh, this is Carlos' feedback, and he told me um, that he he started to tag John Jones in sparring, and I mean in, in practice, and it was like whoa, what? And, and his coaches were like, okay, what what are you training? That's that what, where does the difference come from? And some of the things, and again, this is feedback from them, from 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 him and from his team. Some of the precious in advices that had been given to him by his coaches finally met a, a solution. So they, they were telling him already what he needed to improve, but they may not have had the drills and the specific training to get to that result. So just telling an athlete, hey, you need to improve that doesn't mean that he knows how. It doesn't mean that his strength and conditioning coach knows how. So I met his strength and conditioning, who are dear friends, awesome people at Elevate PH in in in, uh, in Albuquerque. Um, they, they train many of the athletes from uh, Wink and, and Jackson uh, MMA Academy. Um, and the first time I approached them, I said, "Hey, uh, you know, guys, I I value your work, and I'm not here to to do anything different or to." have a say in any way on what you guys do. Um, I'm just doing something different that I know you don't do, that I know should be done and that will bring benefits. Um, when uh, when Carlos uh, got his first fight after his injury, that was, um, what was his name again? Uh, that Brazilian fighter. But anyways, uh, once Carlos got his range down, his ability to move forward was so fast that he wants to one move swiftly forward with, and he was so, he told me he was surprised at how fast he got in the, in his opponent's face, that it wasn't a, a jab or, you know, a, a punch that was going to, um, to hit him at this point. It wasn't an, an elbow and that elbow was devastating. So, yeah, but this is what we worked specifically on because there's on, there's not so many, that, you know, they have training camps. It's for a few weeks and then uh, you, you have only a few hours a week where you can train with the athletes. So we got to be very specific. So I was both general in the sense of I was giving him first a lot of movements that had that were not specific, that I knew were helping his body be physiologically healthier 
coordination and breathing all that together and then we would tackle those very specific drills for very that very specific outcome that we wanted to give him that edge in his game well and and i like that what you said there uh, uh throughout that entire discussion was you never seem to allude to the idea of divorcing one movement or one particular uh, pattern of movement from the reality of the sport that he was in. It sounds like you were constantly, you know, coupling all of these things together with everything you were trying to accomplish with Carlos. Is that is that fair, Erwan, to say? Yeah, well, because the body, the body that does uh, that fights in the cage, and the body that sits on a chair, and the body that um, goes on a walk, uh, that walks the dogs outside the, you know, the house. It's not a different body. You don't have a specific body for a specific physiology, uh, physical task, right? Nobody does. So why is it important to look at some of those natural movement patterns when it comes to uh, the performance of, this physio- um, of a specialized athlete? To me, it's, very, it's quite simple. If I look at you, it doesn't matter if you are a, a person who does no activity, a person who does regular gym fitness or a person who is a special operator or a person who is an elite athlete. Show me those basic movements because I'm going to read your body. I'm going to read your movement behavior. I'm going to see where your joints are wobbly. I'm going to see where you stiffen your muscles. I'm going to see where you compensate. I'm going to see where you hold your breath. I'm going to see where all like minute aspects of your movement. The moment you are challenged with movements that are, yes, basic and natural, but that I know you're never doing. And trust me, if those inefficiencies are shown in those movements, it means that you have the same inefficiencies somehow in your game. That's I. I that's just makes my head explode because I, I, I understand what you're saying and it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, we, we, we sometimes divorce, you know, the athlete from the game and what we really should be kind of considering is, you know, to your, to your words, basically don't divorce, you know, natural movement from anything. Um, natural movement is natural movement. And, and wherever those, you know, inefficiencies may lie, they will in some way be pervasive in everything that you do. And is that fair, Erwan? Am I, am I, is that a fair statement? That's, uh, that's what I just uh, said. And uh, that is exactly what we observe all the time. Yeah. And, so, and- yeah, you have, you know, same person, same body, just different activity. No, and that's and I think that's and I think that's what's so incredible about a journey through through the work of Move Nat and and your book, the practice of natural movement. And Erwan, I, I you're being incredibly generous of your time, and I would be silly to and I'd be remiss if I if I kind of take any more of it. But I I want to <laughs> know I want to know what what would you say? What enduring kind of thought would you leave for coaches? practitioners, uh, evaluators, performance, uh, physiotherapists, you name it, that might be listening 
to this podcast, what type of enduring message might you leave them that they could take home with them and maybe begin to bring to their practices each day? What do you think you can leave them with? There are pros and cons to specialization. And if you only look at the the benefits, you may dismiss the the problems. What you're not looking at is equally precious and important as what you focus on. So we're all humans. All sports come from natural movement, not the other way around. So when you specialize, you specialize your body, you specialize your physiology, you specialize your reflexes, your your neurons, your you specialize everything in your body for that particular performance. And we agree that this is how you you improve performance. But what if that foundation was actually deficient? And what if deficiencies in that universal foundation were to actually support greater performance? That is the that is the hypothesis that we are working on with our athletes. Um, and uh, to be able in the future to show that specialized athletes that have a greater foundation physiologically, neurologically, through the practice of MoveNet, which is the method for natural movement, um, experience greater performance or progress in their specialized sports. That's the idea. So if you want to understand that, the best is not to look at, uh, try to look at some, uh, you know, some studies, but just to experience it by yes, for yourself. Just experience it for yourself. For instance, we have a lot of uh, healthcare practitioners that get trained in MoveNet. And the reason is, is that they promote to their patient that natural movement philosophy and practice. They teach them drills and, and what they unanimously um, testify is that it just boosts therapy, just boosts, boosts the treatments because a lot of problems that have to do with, uh, with healthcare have to do with people having unhealthy lifestyles. And unhealthy lifestyle, part of it, is to not move enough or not move at all or have very specialized movement behavior. So when you restore the original, more complete, healthier movement behavior, then not only it helps the treatment, but it removes the cause. For the most part, those treatments are necessary because of the cause, which is lack of natural movement. So that same idea works also for sports for specialized athletes. So I just invite people to give it a go, give, you know, give it a try and uh, come with us, uh, train and experiment for yourself and see, see how it works. In any case, you will learn tons of techniques and movements and it will open your horizon as a strength and conditioning coach, for instance. Well, I mean, I can personally attest to the idea that the practice of natural movement, your book is, is, 
absolutely outstanding and just the many different avenues of approach that it can take you not only from a personal standpoint, from also from uh, an evaluative or even from a practitioner standpoint is just something that I continue to peel back layers from as I read and, and actually practice on my own. Um, and I can, I can say to everybody out there, I cannot recommend, uh, the book highly enough. It is absolutely a journey through your own, um, through your own body in many ways in getting comfortable with your own body. And Erwan, on behalf of myself and, and the entire listenership, thank you so much for being a guest on our show this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I always keep my the way I express my ideas uh, as non-nerdy as possible, as simple, <laughs> as straightforward as possible. Uh, if you are the nerdy type, um, our performance director, Danny Clark, will be more than happy to uh, to answer your questions. You can reach out to our website on movenat.com, M-O-V-N-A-T.com. Uh, we are working also closely with Greg Cook, who is a you know, world-famous physiotherapist, uh, co-creator of the FMS, um, you know, FMS uh, functional screen. So... The point is we're working with people who also, you know, are in your field, who understand what you're working on, what are your challenges, what are your goals. And um, MoveNet as a method is increasingly part of the conversation on how to improve performance in, in sports. No, and then I think that's a, a wonderful thought. It, it, there's something there for, for everybody, no matter what your background uh, might be. And on behalf of myself, Erwan, and the rest of the team at the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast, thank you so much for joining us and for beginning to, to engage in these discussions. And I hope something that we've discussed today about the ideas of natural movement will help inform you this upcoming season as you begin to watch some of the top athletes in their respective sports take the field or take the octagon, so to speak. So I'm again, once again, behalf of myself, Erwan, and the rest of the team, thank you so much. And please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.